It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. What's up, Talk LP Podcast people? Coming to you again in other news with the CIA guy, John Franchi. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Do I have to say former CIA guy? You're not getting in trouble, are you? Uh, well, it's too late now, so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll rewind it. Um, there we go. Okay. I'm glad I got you on here because obviously there's a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, what's going on in this crazy world? Um, so get, I, I have no questions for you because normally you're just like espousing like your knowledge of what's happening. So, and I know you've been traveling all over. Yeah. Um, and being an expert in Middle East and international affairs, yeah. you're the perfect guy to comment. Yeah. And so I want you to give like a, what's going on right now? Like future, and then like, what can people expect to happen? And in the terms of like, what's this going to, I don't even know if you know these things, but I'm guessing that you do. Like what's hap- what's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen? Like, what should retailers be like braced for now that all this stuff's going down? Like, ready, go. Yeah, go. Oh, there you go. No pressure. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the most challenging issues. I mean, I think that exists out there. We, we've been trying to deal with the, the Palestinian and the Israeli peace process for since since Israel started as a, as a country in 47. And, and we've failed every single time. Um, the closest we got was under Clinton. And that was when Arafat uh, basically walked away. Uh, Arafat, the, you know, the leader of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, uh, essentially walked away. And then since then, there really hasn't been any serious interlocutors on the Palestinian side. They they created a thing <clears throat> called the Palestinian Authority that was supposed to be the government that would run things. That has basically been a corrupt, feckless kind of organization. Um, there are some good people in it, but the leadership has basically not been the best and so they're they're not a real interlocutor 2000 things started shifting in 2006 and 2006 hamas won the elections in gaza um and they the israelis just prior to that had pulled out all the settlements and they had basically backed away from gaza um and that allowed hamas basically to have a base of operations so during that time i don't think there was much hope that hamas was going to win or was going to be successful but I think Israel has decided enough is enough. You get, you know, we're getting out of here, and we're just going to kind of make sure it doesn't affect us. And and essentially, I mean, over time, I mean, these the Hamas did. I mean, they would they would launch missiles occasionally. They would, you know, you know try to uh, kidnap people. They would, you know, have incursions of little ones, but nothing of the sort of what happened on October eighth or October seventh. And you know, there's a lot of questions out there. People ask me all the time, was it an intelligence failure and, and whatnot? And I don't think this is the time for us to talk about that because there were there were definitely failures somewhere in, in the system. The question is where and that's that's for later. Right now. Right. Yeah. Because there's still people that are kidnapped over there like yeah. like we're in the middle of it. It's not time exactly. to look back. Exactly. And so the, the when it started off you know, I mean, again, it caught everyone uh, completely by surprise. I think about 13, 1400 Israelis were killed in, in the attacks. Uh, thousands of missiles were launched. 
the Israelis responded since then. They've, they, I mean, I, I lost track on how many missile attacks and how many uh, bombing raids they've done to go after Hamas and the infrastructure there. The problem there is Hamas has is so dug in and it's such a part of the society there that it's it's hard to break apart. You can't say, oh, this is a Hamas base, we'll blow this up. They had, they, and they also have learned over time how these things work they they understand that the israelis can pick up signals they understand that the israelis you know can you know have overhead satellite coverage and that they have sources on the ground so you know hospitals churches whatever it is they're able to put and their equipment or their people or their leadership in in those places and i think that's that's been part of the problem here is like how do you go after the leadership and netanyahu has sworn that he's going to destroy hamas and that this is what they're going to do Look, this is a seminal moment, probably more so than any other time for the Israelis. They've lost more people than they've ever lost, more since the Holocaust. And, and there's and there's graphic images of it in very similar poses of you know people being dragged through the streets and people being taken away. Um, so it really it really hits to the core of the essence of the of of, of the country. You know, on on the other side. The Hamas had been had done a phenomenal job. So the I get a, some questions I get is like, how did we get here? What's driving this and all that? Hamas, of course, is, is driving a lot of this, but Iran to me is the main driver of all of these issues in the region. And you have to go back not well to 06, even before then. You, the Iranians have always fought via proxy groups, so they've supported different groups. Hezbollah is one of the most successful ones that they've been supporting and 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 providing weapons, financing, training over the years. In in the early 2000s, 04, 05, 06 timeframe, they started to reach out to groups that weren't Shia. So, you know, the division in Islam, you have Shia and Sunni, they don't necessarily get along. And most people will discount anything, any kind of cooperation between the two because they hate each other so much. And there's so much animosity between the two groups. Well, the Iranians started reaching out to groups like Hamas, the Houthis, you know, um, and other kind of uh, Sunni groups to provide them with assistance. And the Hamas needed where it could get, and so it took it. And what the Iranians have been able to do over time is to leverage that and get more and more power and more and more influence with the group. So to me, as you start to look at how this thing's developed, in 06, Hamas took over. There was a lot of excitement in Gaza that, you know, okay, the Palestinian Authority is out of there. You know, so all these corrupt guys are out. We've got Hamas. You know, not everybody is a Hamas supporter in Gaza, but, you know, hope, right? Hope that somebody new is going to bring something along. They were even worse than the Palestinian Authority, just as corrupt, and the systems worked even worse. And so what you started to see in Gaza were protests springing up over the over that time period, the ensuing period between now and then, of protests, people being upset about how things are going. It It... It just it kept developing. You know, Hamas continued to, to continue to have its support there. And what you could start to see is is kind of a tipping point being reached where they had to act, you know, um, in, in one form or another. Now, the Israelis have incredible intelligence resources, but they're not limitless. Um, what was happening over the past about 18 months to two years, if you look at the news, it was a shift from what was going on in Gaza to what was going on in the West Bank. And the West Bank became much more active. There were lots more attacks against the, the settlers going on there. And it was a group, a group that not many people had heard of until that time called Lion's Den. And Lion's Den was uh, a group that was essentially started by the Iranians. 
and funded by them. They weren't affiliated. They were loosely affiliated with Hamas and those groups, but but no relationship with the Palestinian Authority. Palestinian Authority security services couldn't really do much about it. Um, and so what they were doing is they were a lot of the problems we've heard again past year 18 months in the West Bank were caused by this group, and they were doing all these things. Well, there was so much focus was being paid on what was going on there. I believe, and some of the people I'm talking to believe that there was, just, it wasn't that the, the Israelis weren't looking at Gaza, but they may not have been looking at it as closely as they were with the West Bank. So when this thing hit, then it caught everybody kind of off guard because the, the thought was, oh, those guys are just doing their normal thing down there. They're doing their normal training. They're dead. They're, nothing per se is going to be coming out of it. So um, that's, part of the thinking I'm hearing as to why this thing may have happened the way it did it doesn't take away the impact of it and kind of the repercussions. So the question becomes is where is this thing going and what are the tipping points that we're going to see along the way that will have an impact not only on the region, but I think for your, you know, for your listeners and, and, and for retailers, it's going to have an impact on supply chain and just it's going to resonate in the United States, which it, it and it already has. So one of the first tipping points was what was going to be the initial Israeli reaction, which we saw, which was, you know, dramatic. I mean, lots of bombing runs, attacks, uh, you know, they were bombing places. Um, they were, but their focus was trying to get as many of the uh, hostages released as they could. Uh, you know, there were, I think, five or four or five that were subsequently released. Um, there's still negotiations that are going on right now with the, with the Qataris. Um, you know, the Israelis shut down power, they shut down fuel, they shut down water, they shut down food, they basically locked them down. And then that's where you saw the ensuing humanitarian crisis where people couldn't get, you know, the hospitals ran out of fuel. So the, you know, the incubators, you know, the water, there wasn't any water, basically, you know, massive amounts of destruction because these were Hamas locations, you know, based on what the Israelis had for intelligence. So you're seeing a kind of an inner, and then in that, in that situation, this is almost given the people who had uh, Palestinians justification to be able to complain too, which is why we're seeing all these massive protests in the Middle East. We're seeing daily protests here in the United States. There was a, there was actually, I was talking to a senior law enforcement guy in Boston today. And what he was telling me was there's an uh, Israeli company uh, that's based out of Boston and they, they were attacked. I mean, their, their employees were attacked. The building was attacked. Um, th then the, the protesters ended up attacking police. It became, it got out of hand. And that's, that's where I think we have to be aware as to how it can impact us here in the United States. I mean, there is, there's another aspect to this, which is the military aspect with Iran, and we can talk about that separately. But closer to home, I think we're going to start seeing, and we already are seeing a lot of protests, but more protests and the potential for those protests to get violent. And so, uh, I'm kind of bouncing all around here, so I, I apologize. But let's go back to like where things are going in the Middle East. So the big fear there is that the Iranians are going to get involved through the Lebanese. So you've got you've got but they're already involved though, like by funding, by like funding, funding wise. But you mean right. like involved, like act, act involved, people. involved, like militarily involved. Yeah. So so you've got three basic fronts to this war. So you've got the northern front, which is with Lebanon. You've got the eastern front, which is the West Bank, essentially. And then you've got Gaza. So the Gaza one's fully engaged. The hope of, I think, every world leader is that it stays confined to Gaza, right? And that, that they, can, they can keep it there. 
because if it starts to get involved more broadly, then we're looking at other countries getting involved, this thing potentially becoming regional or even bigger than that. And all around the edges, you've got the Russians poking at it. You've got the Chinese poking at it because it's an opportunity to kind of poke at the United States. So up in the north, you've got Hezbollah. They've got anywhere from 120,000 to 150,000 surface-to-surface missiles pointed at, at Israel. Um, you know, if they decided to go all in on that, you'd have a significant problem. I mean, not that they're going to destroy uh, Israel, it would, it would, but it would definitely hurt the Israelis. It would hurt the towns. It would make it a much broader conflict. And then you'd see the Israelis engaging in, in destroying basically Lebanon again. So they would go up and destroy infrastructure, not just military. They wouldn't just keep it along the, the border. Lebanon, Beirut itself would be hit probably pretty significantly, all the government facilities, anything Hezbollah related would be hit. Um, it would be a pretty dramatic increase. And then that would might, that's most likely a, 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 a tripwire for the Iranians to get more directly involved. On the West Bank, you've got, or you've already seen an increase in activities in the West Bank. The Israelis have gone in there pretty, pretty strongly because they've got intelligence that there's planned operations. So Janine, which is a town there, has been hit a couple of times. They've gone in and taken out terrorist cells that are planning operations. But that resonates broadly through the Middle East as well. And that causes instability, especially in Jordan. So Jordan, uh, which Jordan's nickname is the aircraft carrier for the United States, like the landlocked aircraft carrier. It's an incredibly strong ally of the United States. Wonderful, wonderful country. Uh, the king is, is uh, you know, just an amazing leader. Uh, what they've done, but what the, the challenge they have is they have so many refugees from so many different countries. They have, you know, uh, over, I'm not even sure how many Palestinian refugees they've had, but they've had them for decades and decades. And then when the war in Iraq happened, they got, again, thousands of Iraqi refugees. And then the war in Syria happened and they got hundreds of thousands of refugees there. It's just a continually a lot of pressure put on that you know, small country uh, to be able to fund it, to be able to function and to be to remain stable. And there's a lot of concerns that that could be that could be unstable, essentially. You've seen well, isn't that what's or, happening like on with Egypt, too, because. Right. I mean, because their border, they're not opening it or like what's. Yeah. So the Egyptians, you know, they have the only crossing that goes into Gaza at Rafah down south and that's where a lot of the humanitarian aid goes in that's also where a lot of the like the gray market black market stuff was going in because there was a lot of tunnels that connect gaza and uh egypt down through the sinai there but you know cc president cc has said we don't we're not taking any refugees you know we can't handle that part of it is he's afraid that he's going to get you know basically flooded with an overrun by refugees. You know, part of the thinking, I think, from some Arab leaders is that what the Israelis want is they eventually want to empty Gaza out. They want, they want to make it so untenable to live that everyone will leave there and go somewhere else. And then, you know, only the only bad ones there will be Hamas and then they can take care of them. You know. Well, then if that happens, and I was listening to this other news article on this, like, who's going if to, they, if they do all of that, just level it. Right. Like who's going to take it over like and run it? No, that's that's part of the problem. Like, is again, who will take it over? It could be considered an opportunity. I'm not saying any of this is good, but it could be an opportunity to bring in new leadership for the Palestinians. That's not corrupt, that they can actually get some traction. I mean, what with. are the odds of that, though? 
exactly. I mean, it's it's this this is why it's such a hard problem. I and, mean, yeah. And look, and when you start attacking, you know, Hamas or whoever the government is, of course, people are going to stand up and support them. You know, when you're attacking my, my if my house gets destroyed, of course, I'm going to be siding with the government, even if I don't like them. At least they're they're mine. And they're they're trying to support me as opposed to you know what the Israelis are doing. That's um, from their perspective, but I think part of the reason Egypt isn't opening up its borders is that seeing what's happened in Jordan and other countries when you have massive numbers of refugees, and you don't have the resources to handle it. So, if uh, if you go back to about two thousand. I think 14, 15 timeframe when Syria, the war in Syria was happening and it's at its height. There was about 400,000 refugees were fleeing towards Jordan. The Jordanians were like, no mas, man, we don't want them. And President Obama stood up and, and made commitments to the Jordanians that, look, take them, we'll support you. We understand it's a burden. We'll help you financially to, to you know, to take care of these people. You know, again, hopefully it won't be forever, but we'll be there for as long as necessary. Well, we were there for a little while, but we weren't there forever. And we backed away from that, that level of support. And so all of a sudden Jordan's kind of stuck with these people and has to make do with it as, as it can. For the Egyptian side, and this goes back to things we've talked about earlier, Amber, which is, can you trust the United States to support you, right? CC's looking, I mean, okay, US, okay, you wanna make commitments. Can I trust that you're gonna be there in the long run? Or is this one of these things where, yeah, we'll help you for a few years, but look, we got our own problems. And they're, they're already seeing us, you know, kind of ebb and flow on support to not Ukraine. So, not so good examples, like from a, a bunch of examples, right? You just said one with Jordan, which I had no idea about, but then yeah. the massively publicized exit from Afghanistan too, Afghanistan, right? Syria, Libya, again, the Palestinians previously, Iraq. There's there's a, a litany of these things. And I think that's this is where, you know, it's it's giving pause for these for for countries to that to you know to open themselves up to this so the direction this goes i mean this is it's a, it's a sixty-four thousand dollar question honestly which is where is this thing going to go it could be a regional conflagration it could be hopefully just limited to that area we'll see i mean already the the, the iranians have done and, and they're pretty clever in doing it is they've gotten different levers in different parts of that region that they can play at any time they want so they have the lebanese up in the north they've got the hamas and, all this uh, time, but no one's bombing Iran. No, no. no. But are they the ones funding all of this stuff? And no, right. one's, no one's bombing them. Oh, well, and I think I think initial inclination was to to do that. Um, but if you if you do that, you then open up a whole nother host of of problems that you know and and regional issues that you may not want to deal with. I, I know that's there's no easy way to solve this by just bombing. You know, bombing the leadership or getting—it's not as easy as just getting rid Can of the Iranian leadership. Can we give them six billion dollars, though? Yep, yep, Should we, we gave it to them. Yeah, but uh, it's only well, for well. medicine and supplies or something. Apparently, well, apparently, it's really apparently there are controls on it, but still, that frees up six billion dollars to do other things with. Yeah. Right? So they don't have so they don't have to use the six billion dollars in their budget to buy those things. They can use it now to support some of these groups. I mean, a lot of people are forgetting the Houthis, which are down in Yemen. Those guys are down at where, at, the, at the beginning of the Red Sea, 
10% of the world's economy flows through there. Their missile capabilities that the Iranians have given them put at risk 40% of the world's oil. They can reach Abu Dhabi, Riyadh, all of these locations if they want to. Now, there's no interest in engaging like the UAE or the Saudi Arabia at this point, but maybe later. So that's that's where this gets dangerous is which which where can this thing go and how do you try to diffuse it as, as quickly as you possibly can taking into consideration that the Israelis are, you know, they, they, they should be able to respond because they were attacked and they were threatened and they have to mitigate that threat. You know, so it's, it, there's a lot of directions this can go. That's why it's really important to kind of watch it and, and look at the smaller signals as to how things are moving. One of the things I, I, I thought was pretty telling Oh, we paid attention to it for a little while. So, the, you know, the U.S. moved in a uh, carrier battle group into the Mediterranean. And so the, I think it's the Gerald Ford is there. Yeah. Uh, the Eisenhower is moving towards the uh, towards the uh, Persian Gulf. And then they've got a, a fleet, a Marine uh, MU, the Marine Expeditionary Unit. Oh, it's 2,000 or more uh, fighters that are capable of insert, getting inserted at any, at any given time. I don't see the U.S. being an actual combatant on the ground. Uh, because the Israelis, first of all, don't need us. I mean, they've got as many, you know, they're very skilled in this kind of stuff too. They've got plenty of resources. If, if for some chance, you know, we were attacked, if for some chance, um, we find out about like maybe us hostages in a certain location, maybe we could be, maybe we'd be deployed. But again, that takes it to another level when our guys are actually on the ground fighting. And so I think there's a reluctance to have that happen. What I could probably see more on a U.S. military response would be something like if, uh, you know, we, if the, if Lebanon does open up with all those missiles and they start bombing Israel and the Israelis just don't have the capacity to address it, then, you know, then going in to be able to take out military uh, units or, or, you know, uh, equipment along the border potentially but i don't think we've even gotten to that to that point yet so there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward and it's and it's reverberating through the region it's reverberating through europe i was in london i think a week or a week or so ago there was a protest about 100,000 people there there's a lot of strong and a lot of these protests I mean, I think there's a lot of frustration and and uh, for Palestinian people, again, not Pal Hamas, but for Palestinian people and the difficulties they've been living under for, for years. And that's what's kind of uh, kind of on demonstration. The problem is, is most of these people don't know the difference between Hamas and Palestinians. And so they're, they're kind of conflating the two and it's, it's getting confused and they're losing their message because they're supporting a group that's a terrorist organization. Um, there's a lot of groups too. I've seen this in the United States that are, you know, like Occupy Wall Street. Occupy Wall Street, you know, had its heyday, you know, years ago. They still have protests. Nobody shows up. But what they what they've been doing now is they've been relabeling them Palestinian, pro-Palestinian. They, they need a PR campaign. Those people. they do. Well, apparently, so. But you know, they had something in New York last week, and I think two thousand people showed up down at their Wall Street, and it was these these Occupy Wall Street people. So, um, you know, it, I think. You know, but that takes us to kind of the domestic side, and, and what do what do we need to think about when we start planning over the next year or so? Because we've got the election coming up. Trump's situation is only going to get more uh, partisan, and uh, you know, his. The, I mean, they're going after him really hard. 
if if he gets if he gets put in jail, he's still going to be running. He's still going to be the leading candidate, um, and his supporters are going to get that much more kind of ingrained and not maybe not violent, but the rhetoric's going to definitely go up. That on top of these protests, I think you're going to have major problems. Campuses already are exploding, right? You know they were going after the, the UPenn. You know, was a, there's been a huge uh, outcry by by donors to go after the University of Pennsylvania because they didn't come out condemning the Hamas's attack. They're all trying to ride both sides of the middle, you know, the middle here, and they can't. I mean, they've got to take a stand. Columbia, I was supposed to do a, a panel up in Columbia last Friday, and we ended up doing it remotely. You know, because I think I, they, you know, they they were concerned. They said for COVID reasons, but they had a massive protest that day, and I think they were just trying to do everything they could to mitigate, you know, what's going on at the campus and and do the you different see sides. These kind of protests and stuff, and I know like some of the um, well-known landmarks, right, like Times Square, Wall Street, all that kind of stuff. Like, do you see it? spilling out into like retailers realm like we saw after George Floyd's death and things like that you know where it was just massive chaos all across the world like or the country and you think about what you've described with this whole election and then the Trump factor and now you've got these wars and no one's even talking about the Ukraine right I mean Zelensky's probably the yeah. most pissed off about it all because no one's even, yeah. no one's having him on their talk show anymore and so yeah. it's like, you know, like, do you see this as coming a perfect storm when you think about retail wise and the next, you know, into the new year? I mean, I don't know where if it's going to head down to the George Floyd levels. I mean, police, I think, are really attuned to that and they're trying to do everything they can to make sure that doesn't happen and that they have at least the insights to take the people who are inciting those kinds of, they've, they've learned a lot from the George Floyd protests, right? Especially on the Intel collection side. So I don't want to say, Hey, you know, get, you know, get guards because you're going like, it's coming, it's coming. Um, but I think you need to be aware that it could happen. And a, you're starting to see a little bit of this around the edges with uh, protests on Israeli goods or goods that, you know, of Isra you know, Israeli companies or companies that support Israel. Um, you know, there was a, there was a whole host of them that kind of came out, you know, Pepsi was getting hit in a big way. L'Oreal, I've got a, probably a list of about 50 different companies um, that are being identified as being pro-Israeli. And is, is that, I mean, is that going to amount any, to anything more than just bad you know, publicity at this point, or is it going to actually, lead to action. And I think what happened from what I saw in Boston, and that was, you know, yesterday and today, it's concerning that, you know, these groups, there are some groups out there that are willing to take action. The Palestinian Action Committee, I think was the name of the group that was so, supporting this. So if you think about it though, is this is a good point for the LP, AP professionals, right? Because if you have these PR or marketing people saying, oh, we should put out a message about whatever, right? I mean, in support either way. Um, like that's a, that's a, this is a good thing to bring up for the, for the listeners because it's like, whoa, whoa, like they, there's obviously security. This isn't like, here it is. This isn't like when you have some earthquake somewhere or something and they say, we stand with so-and-so. And then you put the thing on the the, the flag on your Facebook page and LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff. This isn't like that, which I think is a, is a fair point for our listeners in, in case they've got some 25 year old marketing girl going, Oh, we need to say 
we stand with such and such, right? Because there's legitimate in what you're explaining and what you're seeing, legitimate protests, legitimate problems for companies that are doing that. Yeah, it's not black and white. Ukraine's black and white, right? I mean, that's pretty easy. And you put up the Ukrainian flag, but this one isn't. And, you know, it's, it's every, and, and how, whatever you say can be taken wrong. And if it will be taken wrong, it will, you know, it will be. If it can, it will. To your point. So I think you need to be careful when you start, you know, putting out messages. You know, I, what I always say to people is like, look, both sides in this are, are, are you know, it's, it's people that are suffering. Right. And that's and it's there are people that are not Hamas um, that are, you know, and you see these pictures and, you know, it's there's a lot of people that are just are in Gaza because they don't have any other choices. And they're there and, the you know, the government is their government or whatever it is. Um, and you and you just your heart goes out to them and, and they're being caught up in this. And it's unfortunate because Hamas plays dirty and they're, you know, they're hiding in their backyards and they're taking, you know, you send in fuel. They're using it to support the war machine. Um, so, yeah. So for so for retailers, you need to think this through really well um, and 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 have a really good sense about kind of where this is going, what else is happening out there. Um, you know, whether it comes to in your retail space or, um, or, or elsewhere, a lot of this is happening on, you know, it's on social media, it's on X, it's on uh, TikTok, Um, and it's not in English, a lot of it's in Arabic. And, and, and so being aware of kind of how these things are trending in, in different places too, and the impact it can have, I think is important. So are there any places that you would recommend, um, my listeners go to be like, because it's hard if you're watching cnn or you're watching fox or you're i mean everybody's got their whacked out slant so it's like do you have any specific resources that you're like they should read this or what other than your update your update is probably number one i know i said it and talk lp the talk lp i Uh, I love that see see what we did there it was like a it was unplanned but um you know what i'm saying like obviously your update and i'll put in the show notes if you're not getting john's update you can get it, go to the show notes and um, it's, it'll tell you how to do it, which is a very, very uh, timely, valuable tool to understand in plain English, a fabulous writer. It's very engaging. Like you're like talking about stuff that I don't know anything about and I'm reading it and it's like, oh, this makes sense to me. Right. So anyway, back to the question. Other than and NPR opinion, and NPR, I did that thing on NPR too. So if, if that gives a fairly good overview about what's going on too I, I think it's and it's pretty current it's still pretty current okay. as to what's happening so if they if you google my name in npr i did something i think it was last week on all things considered when did i miss, how did i miss that that's my thing so, I'm, I'm listening to that driving what the hell i think my i think my mother was the only one to listen to it so <laughs> it's okay um no but I, what I, I one of the things i and I, I encourage people to do this state department uh, for all of his weaknesses, I, uh, has has a really good organization called OSAC, and if you're not a member of OSAC, join it. Um, it's 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 basically it it gives you access to what's going on uh, like around the world and through the resources. They do analytical work. They do they have resources to their their regional security officers through that. It is a really good group, and they have um, once you get in there, they have an a WhatsApp chat. 
in which there's about, I think there's about a thousand people on it right now. And people are sharing insights about what's happening on the ground. So if you're, if you're a member of that, is it going to cost people money? No, it doesn't cost you. It doesn't cost anything. No, you just go online. You, I think you apply, you tell them, you know, what critical industry you're in and why, why you should be a member. Um, And usually they're pretty open to accepting people, especially if you have like a, I mean, especially if you have a foreign presence. Um, But, it's, it's a really good organization for that regard. And then what I've been doing is I've been tracking this thing multiple times a day and people are providing different insights about what's going on. Did you hear that this happened? Did you hear that that happened? One of the things that's really different about this war than most is the, uh, the vast amount of disinformation that's out there. Did you hear that, you know, that the, the Houthis, you know, launched a, a missile attacks on this or that. And then somebody chimes in and says, actually, that video was from five years ago. Or somebody was pointing out like, oh, my God, you know, all France is closing all of its schools because of what's going on. There must be something else going on. And then somebody chimed in. It's a national holiday. That's why all the schools are closed. Right. But this things is that like you don't... when there's a hurricane somewhere and everybody shares that picture of the shark in the street, you yeah. know, what yeah. the hell? I don't understand the time these people have on their hands. This obviously is more serious. I understand that but... listeners don't send me. I know this is more serious. For the shark in the street, yeah. But, yeah. but it's important. But it's important to get information so in, and have almost a built-in va- validating and vetting system. The, that's what all all of us are able to do is we're able to chime in and then you know okay I've, I've got C, my CEOs are traveling. The, there's a big, number of big conferences happening in. Uh, there's a big environmental conference happening in the UAE in early November. Uh, Saudi had its big FII investment conference on the 25th of October. People are freaking out like multi-billionaires are going to these things their their ceos are going the last thing you want to have like really like if so if you if i've got the chief whatever listening to this like should should these because they're this audience is mostly responsible for executive protection like should they be sending their people over there or no well, it, de- it depends you're like where. a lawyer what the hell it depends well, no it depends i mean like i'm government too right i'm not going to give you an answer um <laughs> <laughs> but no i Look, honestly, um, right now, the situation anywhere outside of that, like, I wouldn't send people to Israel. I wouldn't go to Lebanon. Um, you know, don't, I, go honestly, to, don't, don't go Gaza, to Gaza, Egypt, Gaza's Iran. West, okay, can oh, we no, mark, no. Off, so Iran, mark Egypt, off Egypt's people. fine. Egypt's fine. Like, but like most of these Are things. Are you really going to be that close? Are you going to send your CEO over to somewhere that close yeah. to all this going on? Yeah, I would. John. I mean, like. What? I don't, well, my CEO is my wife. So I know, I'm just saying. No, no. I'm just saying, if you had to take their perspective, I wouldn't, but I don't know anything about this. Well, first, I think it depends. It depends on why they're going over there and then where they're going. So a lot of the questions revolve around the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, uh, Qatar, Bahrain, because that's where most of these business deals are happening. The one-offs that are happening in other places. Like I saw one thing on the chat where there's a, a um, a bunch of kids um, are, go- are supposed to go to this robot competition, international robot competition in Sharm el Sheikh in Egypt. No, like you don't go to that. That's you don't need to go the, to that. If you're going to Cairo and you have meetings in Cairo at this point, I don't I don't see any problems doing that. But again, there's certain countries I think are totally off limit right now. Again, the, the Emirates and all the Gulf states are fine. Um, you know, there, there's no there's no threat. 
But again, that's why it's really important to stay on top of what's going on. This thing's changing day to day. So has and, the U.S. issued any advisory, like don't travel to the certain countries? Well, it's, it's issued a, a broad one uh, for just in general terms about going out, um, you know, about travel. So that's but good enough for me. Aware. I'm staying home. <laughs> like, that's it. Well, yeah, no, but I'm I, done. I, no, I'm not going to Mexico. I'm not going to go to no, St. Thomas. Like, come on, right. man. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to Rhode Island right now. <laughs> I get it. So, no, it's but like the places where it's 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 basically said don't travel. Lebanon, I think, is the only one that I've seen. Israel, as well as you know, be be mindful of your travel to Israel. I think they're not going to go out and just say don't travel to Israel. Yeah, uh, for I other think it's a safe bet. I don't know. At like you decide, listener, if you're gonna side with me or John, that you could send your CEO to Israel right now. So exactly. <laughs> I, I I'm not you're killing me. I here. Mean, uh, I, I'm just saying. I understand. I I look, I get what you're saying. And it, it I'm a scaredy cat though. What... You're like you're like globe trotter. I don't know where the hell you are ever, right? I mean, so but I'm like, I'm like, nah, I mean, let me look at my travel guide and see what's up. So I, th I think I just, I think it that's why I say it depends on what's going on right now. I think some of these places are fine. That could change in a moment. I mean, the whole world essentially changed. Which that is the reason like why they should. Three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We got to wrap this up. We'll have you back though. Last question, but you're going to be on the shot clock. So um, I'm curious because I think if I was sitting in these people's seat, I would want to know um, supply chain wise, like, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with like, it's not like COVID where they had the ships in the harbor for 25 years. Right. I mean, but supply chain wise, is it, this is not a short answer, is it? No, it can be. I mean, I'll make it short. I think, I, I think you, you're looking at more instability internationally the Chinese right now um, are trying to be, I think, peacemakers to a point. I think that, but they haven't really gotten actively involved in this. What I worry about when it comes to supply chain here is Suez Canal and that whole route, because there's again 10% of the world's trade goes through there. So that will that will reverberate if the Houthis are able to attack shipping or stop shipping or have an impact on shipping in that area because of the threat from missiles that's why the u.s has a presence down in the in suez right now in the in the red sea because they don't want to make sure that any any threats can be can be mitigated but still i mean companies are going to act like you know to your point if there's a threat if there's an active threat that my ship could get blown up why would i go down there even if the u.s is there maybe they they miss yeah. you know in the interception of the missiles uh it, it will reverberate I mean, we're already seeing oil prices go higher. So costs are going to increase. So I think we're not seeing as much of an impact yet. But again, it's something to be mindful of and that you got to watch as to how this thing develops. So That's a good answer. I'm short too. I know. This is crazy. Okay. We're definitely having you back. If you can stop your globe trotting just for like, you know, a couple of days. I know you're, you're like, I'm in Geneva, but I'll do it. I was like, okay, man, that's awesome. But um, I appreciate you, John, stepping into the hot seat for Talk LP podcast. Thank you, Amber. <laughs> we'll have it back. And, you know, hey, I want to hear from the listeners if they decide to send their CEO over to Israel. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's. That is a follow-up question for my, that's everybody's homework, but 
Sign up for John's update. It'll be in the show notes. It is incredible information to make sense of everything going on. And you don't have to watch the news, which is always a bonus. So happy Halloween, John. Thank you. Emma. Do you, you see too. my... Uh, I love it. Yeah. See? It's all Halloween all day. All right, buddy. That's thanks cool. so much. See you later. <laughs> Yeah. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.